112. And uh, God willing, uh, next week we, I plan to begin a new series, um, and we'll be studying on Wednesday night the book of Philippians, and I look forward to our time in that book. I'm also, God willing, going to start a new series on Sunday afternoon on Genesis 1, 1 through 11. And so um, uh, Sunday morning will be the same, okay? It'll be the Gospel of John, but we've finished up several things. And before the mission trip, I kind of did a couple weeks of individual sermons, and that's, again, what tonight is. But we are going to get into some new uh, books of the Bible. I look forward to God using them in our lives individually and also all together as a church. Psalm 112 is the reading tonight, and if you're physically able to stand, why don't you join with me in standing for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 112. And the Bible says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants shall be mighty on earth, The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. To the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man shows favor and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desire on his enemies. He is dispersed. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Let's pray together. Lord, I turn to you at this time, and I turn to you, the author of this psalm. I pray that you, by your Spirit, will give it meaning, give it um, weight in our hearts, in our lives. Help us to have the heart of this righteous one. Help us to remember the truths that you teach us about the righteous one, and help us to have your perspective as we live this life thankful that you're a God that is still at work in our hearts and our lives, and we look forward to that work continuing here tonight. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know how many of you can remember so far back as when you learned your ABCs, but uh, learning one's ABCs is a vital tool in learning to write and read and uh, grow in education. And I know there's some secular ABC songs that people learn, and there's also some Christian versions, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Jesus died for you and me, etc., etc. And I think people have been using songs for a very long time to teach the ABCs. And it's possible that Psalm 112 was used by the Jews to teach the ABCs because it is an alphabetic psalm and the different phrases begin with the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So we're a lot more familiar with that with Psalm 119, but it also takes place in Psalm 112. I just want to give a couple introductory remarks about the psalm, and then we'll work through it verse by verse. But Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 are very much linked together, and Psalm 111 has a great deal to do with the character of God, and Psalm 112 has to do with the character of the man of God, or the person who fears the Lord. And so um, they 
connect together, they both begin, as well as Psalm 113, with the phrase, praise the Lord. And this uh, is kind of a theme that links these three psalms all together. Uh, a couple other little things that I wanted to point out is that if you, if you go down in the passage to verse 7, and at the end of verse 7, that final phrase, it says, trusting in the Lord. And I feel like that phrase, trusting in the Lord, is like a center, because if you watch with me, we'll see some parallels that build off of that. So in verse 7, it says, trusting in the Lord. What does the phrase right before that say? Right before trusting in the Lord, we have his heart is steadfast. What does the phrase right after trusting in the Lord say? It says his heart is established. So his heart is steadfast, his heart is established, very much the same idea. Then if you go to the phrase before, the very beginning of verse 7, he shall not be afraid of evil news. Well, if you go to verse 8, after his heart is, is established, you have he shall not be afraid. So again, we have a parallel there. And then as we work further out, in verse 9, it says, He has dispersed, he has given to the poor. We see this reflected back in verse 5. A good man shows favor and lends. And then uh, at the end of verse 9, His righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. We see this reflected in verse 6. Surely he shall not be moved forever. His righteousness shall be in everlasting remembrance. So there's a bit of a parallel and an order to the phrasing of some of these things here in the verses. As we get into the passage tonight, we see the man, the person who is affected by their God. And the more we read God's word, the more we know God and walk with him and live the Christian life for the Lord, the more we learn of our God. I'm thankful that God is a God that wants to be known. He is not a far off deity that must be appeased, much like we saw in Nepal. There's a lot of fear and distance between them and their false gods. But the Bible here says the one who fears the Lord, the one who greatly delights in his commandments, he is impacted. He's changed. And so uh, verse 1 tells us this person fears the Lord and greatly delights in God's commandments. These two concepts of fearing the Lord and following the commandments of God are linked together by Solomon at the end of Ecclesiastes. Do you remember? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. But there's one thing that's inserted between the two in Psalm 112, and that is who delights greatly in his commandments. So the writer of Psalm 112 inserts this idea of delighting in the commandments of God. And sometimes as Christians, our tendency is not to delight in God's commands, but rather is to be wrapped up simple in, simply in duty. We say, well, if I just obey the commands of God, that's enough, that's sufficient. But to delight is an emotion. It's to have an emotional response. It's to have a heart-warming response and also to take joy in. Delighting in God's commands is a little bit in about seeing the wisdom of them and taking joy in the fact that they are good. But more than that, they are about delighting in the God of the command. Joying in the one who gives us these commands. Joying in the will of God. Man sometimes is tempted to doubt God and question God and question his commands. And what that does is it breaks down trust and it breaks down joy. Because when you trust in the Lord and you take delight in Him, I'm sorry, when you trust in Him, it's the foundation for joy to be built upon it. Someone who is 
questioning the commands of God and ha- thinks they have a better idea, their joy is going to dissipate. It's going to disappear. I want to ask it this way. When's the last time as you re- opened the Word of God, as you read His commands, that you had true joy grip your heart? The writer here says that the one who fears God and delights in His commands is blessed. He is happy. He is honored. Verse 2, as we continue forward, it says, His descendants shall be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Here, as we read this passage, um, actually verse 2 and verse 3, I think some may kind of have some question marks because certainly there's some that could say, I do not have descendants, or maybe some would say the descendants I have do not um, know the Lord or have salvation. And also in verse 3, let me link that in here as well. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Here again, we see wealth and riches shall be in his house. Well, uh, how does this apply to me? Well, I think the first question when we read the scripture is to ask how was it received by the original recipients? And the original readers of Psalm 112 were the Jewish people. They were those who had the old covenant set up between them and God. And the prior covenant was a conditional Mosaic covenant. And it was, if you will do this, I will do this, right? It was conditioned. And, um, and so for them, God did promise them earthly blessings, and there was land, and there was seed all wrapped up in the Abrahamic covenant. And so for the person in the Old Testament who is fearing the Lord and delighting in His commands, they're attaching themselves to that first covenant. Here at Every Nation Baptist Church in 2023, we are uh, directly attached to the Lord through the new covenant. So that's not to say that there's no application here, but it is to say that we apply it um, a little more carefully and a little differently. But what I do want to see is that the fact that as we follow the Lord, there is influence that takes place. There's influence we have for the Lord. And uh, as we serve the Lord, there is eternal fruit. There's impact that happens in the hearts of others. It says, His descendants shall be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. As we live for the Lord, our lives should overflow onto other people. And here, this righteous one, this one who follows the Lord, is promised impact. Satan wants you to think that your life has no meaning, that your life is wasted, that it's very limited in its scope. But God in this psalm is trying to expand your vision. He's trying to show you a bigger view. Um, As we we think about verse 3, let me just say that with the idea of, of wealth and riches, for us in the present age, um, God does promise to provide our needs. And that is a promise that we can always cling to. But secondly, God also promises us rewards. And there, as we serve the Lord, one day there will be a standing before the judgment seat of Christ. There will be a reckoning of our lives. And the Bible is very clear that some will receive no rewards on that day even though they themselves will be saved by fire. And there are others that will receive great rewards. When it says wealth and riches shall be in his house, can I just promise you that God is not passing over the actions that you take in your life. No, one day there will be a reward given for you. Moving on to verse 4. To the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. This verse says that to the upright, there arises light in the darkness. This tells me something. This tells me that God is saying in the darkness, 
those who are righteous will receive light. And the question about what this light is or who this light is, some would say, some would even translate it such that the righteous one is the light. But it's pretty clear that it's saying it's to him comes the light. And I would interpret this as the Lord himself. God reaches out to the righteous one. And for uh, some scriptural examples, Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Don't we see that later in the text? He'll not be afraid, right? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 1. In 1 John 1, 5, This then is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So here again. And for us, this is the promise. We're in darkness. We live in this world of darkness. Jesus told us that we are in the world of darkness. But the Bible says that as we walk with God and know God, there will arise to us light. And if you've ever been in darkness, in total darkness, and then you have light, do you know what that means to you? That is comfort. That is joy. That is hope, right? To have that light in the darkness. And that is who our God is to us. Then it goes on to say He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. We don't have time to really dig in and unpack all these words, but I just want to say that this is our God. He comes to us in our darkness. And when He comes to us in our darkness, He comes graciously. He comes full of compassion. He comes to us with righteousness. And this is our God coming to us in our darkness. Verse 5 goes on to say, A good man shows favor and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. As we work through some of these verses, we see kind of the characteristics of this righteous one who walks with God. And one that reoccurs several times is compassion with finances. And verse 5 uh, makes it very clear. A good man shows favor and lends. We also see it down in verse 9. He has dispersed. He has given to the poor. And as we think about this for a present day, one of the impacts that God wants to work in our hearts and our lives is that of gracious giving, of helping others. And when Christ came to this earth, He came to give His life a ransom for many, to, to die on the cross and to accomplish the great and grand and glorious rescue of humanity on the cross. But you know what else He did? He came and He raised to life the widow's son. And He provided bread to the crowds. And He healed the blind man. And we know that He had more than one purpose and He had many purposes for why He did. But one of those was to go about, the Bible says, doing good. And if we are people who walk in the steps of Christ, we ought to go about doing good. This heart of compassion should be ours. And I think a, a, an important question of application for right here is this. When was the last time I gave of my resources to help someone in need? Maybe it's directly, maybe it's through a program, but either way, when did I last give of what God gave me to help someone else, whether Christian or not Christian, whether uh, it was uh, someone we know, someone we don't know, but if we start getting this attitude of mine, mine, that is not the heart of God. That's just our natural fleshly heart taking over. And so this scripture tells us someone who's been influenced by God is compassionate and giving with their finances. The final phrase of verse 5 says, he will guide his affairs with discretion. This is wisdom. This, he's taking care of his affairs. He's managing his life properly. Verse 6, surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. 
And again, we will pair this up with its other corresponding phrase down in verse 9. At the end, his righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. Again, the Bible is saying that there's a name, there's a good name that comes to the righteous. And a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, the Bible says. But the Bible here teaches that the name will continue, that his influence, his righteousness will go on. It will not be cut off, so to speak. Satan tries to teach us, and the world tries to teach us to live for the now. Live for the moment. Grab what is right here in front of you. God in his word is saying, actually, live with the big picture in mind. Live with the long picture in view. My dad used to tell me that. Son, take the long look. And he's trying to uh, impart spiritual wisdom from the Bible. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. I believe it's in Habakkuk. I cannot remember which prophet. But it says that the Lord is making record in the books. And he is not going to let things pass. But he is taking record. And one day the books will be opened, the Bible says. And so as we live our life, let us remember that we're not just living for today. We're not just living for this moment or this week or even this decade. But our lives have significance far beyond today. And so we're being reassured here that our life does have meaning. And if you're here today and you feel like, oh, I just, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I feel like nothing's happening and I have no purpose and I feel like nothing's going on, let us be assured by God's word that the righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. And his righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. That horn there speaks of uh, it's a sim- symbolic of glory or honor or, or, or power. Um, in, in symbolism, it's, you know, if, if we were to take the opposite and say his horns were to be cut off, that would be to dishonor or to bring reproach, right? And um, to be defeated or shamed would be to, to cut off the horns. So the, uh, the opposite is that idea there. Now, let's move on to verse 7. And so, so we've seen already the compassion of finances and then Um, We see this continuation forever. But now let's look at this cessation of fears. Look at verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 7. He shall not be afraid of evil news. And then if we look at uh, verse 8, his heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desire on his enemies. Knowing God and seeing him for who he is breaks down fears. It kills fears. And uh, perfect love casts out fear, but a knowledge of God casts out fear. And the Bible here is saying that the righteous one can live without fears. Fear of man, fear of poverty, fear of failure. All these different fears press down upon us, don't they? Fear of tomorrow, fear of sickness, fear upon fear upon fear. And yet the Bible here says, he shall not be afraid of evil news. This fear is actually connected to something in reality. It could be future evil news, but it also may be presently evil news. Maybe you got some bad news. Have you ever had a day where you got bad news? Yeah. And the Bible says that when you know God and you're, you're anchored to the Lord and you're connected with God, when evil news comes, it does not have to bring you fear. It doesn't have to shake you. I don't know what evil news may come to you tomorrow, but the Bible here says he shall not be afraid of evil news. Now, how is it? How, how can this be? Well, one is that we know that every piece of, of uh, action or news that comes to us comes through the hand of God. Right? God 
either determines or allows what happens in our life. And so if it's passed through the hand of God down to me, then I can receive it. Secondly, is that this perspective that's being laid out here is an eternal perspective. And every piece of bad news that comes to us, mark this down, is temporary. Did you know that? Every piece of bad or evil news that comes to you is temporary. Sooner or later, God will change that. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let's, let's take some things that are even temporary in this life. If you lose a job, God can give you another, right? If you become sick, God is able to heal you. So some things God intervenes, and very shortly they are past tense. But there are other things that are much broader in nature. When people pass away, when someone's arm is cut off, right? There are some things that, that are not going to be resolved in this life, but what does the Bible tell us of eternity? All things shall be made new. He will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And so one reason I, can, I cannot be afraid of any evil news that comes my way is I know that it is temporary. Maybe there's some news that you've received recently and you need to just remind yourself, this is temporary. This is but for a time. And it could be that that time is the rest of our earthly existence. But the longer you live, the more you realize that that too is temporary. We're anchored to something much bigger and greater. Then notice this, end of verse 7, his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid. I call this centering or fixation. It's just simply the heart being settled on the Lord. And it's almost as if, as we work closer to this key phrase, trusting in the Lord, the final piece is the heart. Do you see that? Like the heart is steadfast. His heart is established. The heart. What does Proverbs 4.23 say? Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the springs of life. The, The truth behind that is just that so much of our life is about our heart and where our heart is. And when we're trusting in the Lord, our heart is steadfast. Our heart is established. It's not changing and moving and unsettled and full of of, um, uncertainty, but rather we find grace to stand strong. And then we, we hit this phrase, trusting in the Lord. Trusting, confidence, faith that is placed in the Lord Almighty. This, I feel like, is the center of this second section of the psalm. Trusting in the Lord. Let's now look at verse 10 and we'll draw two principles and be done. Verse 10 says, The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. This is in contrast to all that we've read. The wicked shall see, what is it? See it. What is it? Well, I think it's all that goes on with the righteous in the prior verses. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. The reason the wicked is grieved is because he sees what the righteous has over time and he sees what he has lost. And sometimes in youth or in early stages, the wicked will mock the righteous. Oh, what a loser. You know, what an idiot. You're doing things God's way, right? But given enough time, those emotions switch. And uh, ultimately, that wicked person will be grieved. And do you notice the emotional difference? Verse 1, who delights greatly in his commandments. And then verse 10, The wicked is grieved. Delighting and grieving are complete opposites. And there's an emotional contrast going on here. He shall gnash with his teeth. This gnashing is sometimes a sign of pain. Sometimes it's a sign of anger. We might think of it as clenching the teeth. Burying the teeth. And um, 
they're upset, they're angry at what's going on, but then it says they'll melt away. The wicked shall melt away. The righteous will be remembered forever. The wicked will melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Two truths that I want to uh, leave us with with this psalm is the first is that this is a psalm of transformation. As I read about this righteous man, I see someone who is in communion with God, who is affected by their God, and their life is changed. Do we believe in a God that changes lives? We do. I do. And I don't just believe it as out there somewhere, but I've seen it in my life, and I've seen it in other lives. We have a God who changes lives. And the truth of this Scripture is that if you fear the Lord, if you know the Lord, if you have faith in the Lord, if you take delight in the commands of God, it's going to affect you. It's going to change you. And you're going to start living out some of these truths that are right here. You're going to have compassion on the poor. You're going to learn to let God work through your fears. And you're going to be affected and transformed by your God. When we were in Nepal, we saw people that were affected by their gods as well, but in a very different way. Um, many of them would have the, the mark. I cannot remember the proper name. The red mark. The Hindus would have the red mark. And, um, you know, that was an external visible symbol of their devotion to their God, right? And there are other times where we would go to the holy sites and some of the people would be coming in with sacrifices or they'd be coming in with something and this was evidence of their devotion to their God and their life was affected by it. Sometimes when it's not quite so overt, we don't realize how affected we are by what we worship by what we value and by what we put first. But the Bible here says if you will worship God, He will change you. He will affect you. He will guide your life. And this is good news for us because if you need transformation, you have a God who transforms. That is good news. The second piece of news for us is this is, this is a psalm of eternity. God is trying to get us to look beyond simply today, to see bigger than just how things look at the present. I think there was, I can't remember who said this, but it was a very helpful quote to me. They said, it's always too soon to give up on God. And what they simply meant is that God is doing a work. And Job believed this, and Moses believed this, and many people of God in the Scripture believed that God was at work, even if in this moment the circumstances were dire, if they were backwards, if they were wicked, uh, they believed that God was still doing something. And God is seeking to get us to look beyond today, to see bigger than just how things look at the present. Also along with this is this idea that your life has no meaning, that your life is futile, or that your life has very minimal impact. God here in the text is actually saying, no, there's an eternal remembrance. There's an eternal difference. There's things going on that have eternal significance here. And when we live for Christ... The Bible says that our name will be eternally remembered, that our works will go on, and that what we, how we live for the Lord has an impact. So I don't know which piece of this psalm you needed to hear most tonight. I don't know which area. Maybe it was the fear. Maybe it was the, um, the settled heart. Maybe it was maybe the piece of giving. But I hope more than all of those individual things, I hope we'll each see the value and the, the deep importance of being impacted by our God. He is a transforming God. He is helping us see beyond just today. And this is good news.
Let's bow our heads in prayer.